3: This is the Cork Today replay on C103
4: as we welcome you along to the programme hoping you all had a wonderful uh, weekend and if you were up bright and early and tuned in to Ken on the Breakfast Show this morning you will now know that the C103 Summer Getaway Competition is underway. Three amazing holidays over the next three weeks holiday to Salou, a holiday to Lanzarote and a holiday to Mallorca and we're kicking it all off with our first holiday giveaway this week which is to send you and a friend on a holiday to Salu itself. Seven Nights in the H10 Vintage Hotel. Now, for this week's competition, you need to be able to travel on the 30th of May because we've got your flights and your hotel booked. Uh, every day you'll be listening out for a different C103 Sunshine song and all we will guarantee is that each of the programmes will play that same Sunshine song every day and when you hear it, that's your cue to text our WhatsApp to 086 to 103 103. Then stay by your phones because you will get called come on air, answer a very, very simple question and then become the qualifier for that particular programme and go forward to the draw, which will be held on Friday with Nick. You're listening to the news this morning. You would have heard worrying numbers to do with our guard, the figures. And, you know, when I was listening to this earlier, straight away struck me how often have we heard from some of our listeners who will say we need more boots on the ground, we need more garda and if there's any kind of crime in an area people have been moaned the fact that once upon a time everybody would have known the local sergeant and there would have been a local sergeant in a number of Garda based in a particular Garda station but of course over the years we've seen a number of our Garda stations permanently uh, closed so there's kind of a, it's an in-depth analysis has been done by the Irish Independent where they've really dug down into the figures and they're showing that nearly one in four Garda stations have fewer officers to tackle crime at the start of this year compared to, th- to this time 12 months ago and 42 stations actually had no permanent Garda attached to them at all. An analysis of the staffing levels at more than 560 Garda stations, that's how many we have, it revealed that 23% of the total actually suffered a drop in Garda numbers. It highlighted the, a number of smaller stations are without a dedicated Garda and that has increased. Last year there was 35 of these smaller stations didn't have a dedicated guard there. and last year that went up to uh, 42 among the larger stations experienced uh, reduced staffing included one of our own here in Cork and that was the Bridewell in Cork down at uh, 30% and they joined places like Salting and Galway, Stepaside in Dublin, Hoth, Malahide and Rathmines, all in Dublin. Now, the majority of stations, a total of 326, they experienced no change in numbers. They stayed uh, exactly the same. 109, uh, or nearly one in five, had more officers in December than at the start of uh, the year. A lot of those, though, were based in the Dublin area. And then ana- the analysis, based on official figures published by the Department of Justice, so the overall size of the force has gone down it now is at its lowest level since 2018 at the end of december it was at 14133 but you need to dig further into those figures because when you take Gardi that are on career breaks, they're included in that number. Take gardi that are on maternity leave, they're included in that number. Paternity leave, secondments, uh, work, sh- work sharing, they're all included in that 14,133. So the actual number at the end of last year was 13,880 and that's 145 uh, fewer than was at the start of last year. Now, details of the shrinking size of the force is coming at a time when on guard this year, Kona are revealing that they have had to spend a huge amount on overtime. Obviously, if they don't have enough gardi, what are they going to have to do? They're going to have to pay the guardi that are there extra to go out and do overtime. So, £130 million was spent on overtime last year and that's up on the previous year. The number of civilian staff, that also fell. Uh, now, slightly lower, it's by uh, 1%. 3,126 are on the civilian team. Guard the reserve numbers, they fell to 325 due to a net loss of 48 uh, volunteers. And the Guard, the Commissioner, Drew Harris, He's obviously concerned about these uh, figures. He said last month the number of Gardaí has dropped. He said firstly it was a result of COVID-19 restrictions on training. Now he is pointing out that they're desperately and scrambling to try to do something about it. So he's saying <coughs> that the staff numbers have increased by 1,200. That's since 2016 uh, and that's allowed for more than 800 Gardaí to be returned to operational duties. These were people that were stuck in admin roles so they brought in civilians to the admin roles and took them out and put them back on the beach. Drew Harris has repeated his wish though. He would like to see the force growing to 15,000 and he claims there's a very strong case for even exceeding that figure. He says you look at the population growth of this country, you look at the demogra- demographic change and unfortunately uh, rapidly changing nature of a crime. He says he was confident though that Garda numbers would soon be growing again and he pointed to the fact that they now have plans to introduce classes this year of around 200 recruits and they're hoping to do that every three months out of the Garda College in uh, Temple uh, more. So we'll keep our fingers crossed that that will go ahead. But then we've got the crime writer uh, Paul Williams uh, writing in the papers today. He's saying that those uh, statistics are further proof uh, and our further evidence of what Gardi on the ground and their representative bodies have been warning about. And they've been warning about this now for several, several months. They're the ones on the ground saying that the organization is facing a staffing crisis unlike that has ever happened in the history of Angarda Shikona, Over the past year or more, there has been an unprecedented increase in the number of experienced officers who are resigning. There's also been an an increase in officers leaving as soon as their necessary service. To qualify for the pension. Whereas if you go back a decade ago, the trend then was that experienced officers tended, they could leave and take their pension, but they tended to remain and they worked on until they reached their retirement age. But unfortunately, that is not uh, happening. So, you know, what do we now need? We need to do something to, you know, to introduce new blood and to retain the experienced officers for as long as possible. I mean, the job. Of a Garda is probably more dangerous now than at any other time in the past. And the Garda Representative Association, they recently revealed that there are 285 serious assaults on Garda last year. And that was an increase of 20% over 2021. 20, uh, and there was an interview done in the online newspaper, The Journal, and there was a retired Garda inspector by the name of Tom Gallagher. And he spent much of his career in an inner city Garda uh, station he spoke of the deteriorating working environment that Gardaí face every day he said they're being assaulted they're being threatened on the street while at the same time they're not taking action for fear that they'll end up facing disciplinary sanctions from management if they do decide to take action he said the level of assaults and violence directed towards officers is increasing he said the respect is gone because there are no meaningful, meaningful consequences for the vendors. And he also revealed that the Garda organisation was now hemorrhaging personnel with many younger members leaving. And he said that they're seeing more younger members uh, now leaving than ever before. So something has to be done. I think it's interesting that that comment from that retired guard inspector that that respect level is gone and we'll often hear some of our listeners say that they remember growing up and there was such a huge respect level for for the local sergeant or the local uh, guardee you wouldn't dare answer them back if you were told go home you went home or you know what I mean that it was just completely different that that same respect level doesn't seem to be there and the amount of verbal Assaults and physical assaults now on guard, the unfortunately is on the increase. So, your thoughts welcomed uh, on that and what are the possible solutions? How do we increase our guard the numbers? And once we increase the guard the numbers, what do we do to protect them and to retain them? So, once they join the force, that they stay with the force and that we don't actually lose their experience on guard the numbers and this in depth look at the figures for last year showing one in four guard the stations had fewer officers to tackle crime at the start of the year uh, at the, than they did at the end of the year. One listener says you can easily see it, the amount of boy racers that are out night and day, especially in the McCroom area. We need more Gardaí when it comes to policing uh, boy racers. 0818103103. and then Anne is on about a slightly different issue but I suppose it does tie in with well, I was talking about respect for Gardaí and some Gardaí are saying that that respect level is gone but are we losing respect in general in society and says she was parked in a shopping centre yesterday and she said she observed what she can only de- describe as agitated or angry drivers. And she's wondering, are other people also starting to notice this? She says she started to see an increase in it Since the pandemic She said she got out of her car And she was about to head into the shopping centre When a car that was driving straight Suddenly decided to turn And go into a parking space But the person, no indicator, nothing Shot out in front of Anne She said she more or less had to jump out of the way Then as she was heading towards the actual supermarket itself There's a zebra crossing there She said she was about to walk across the zebra crossing When she realised that a car that was approaching the zebra Zebra crossing. She realised that the car wasn't going to stop. There was an older lady who was halfway across the zebra crossing who ended up having to run to save herself, and said so it got her thinking: What is it? Why is everybody rushing and racing? And also, are we after losing our manners and our respect for others? She's noticed it uh, a lot on our roads, but she says in a shopping centre car park, really. What are people doing and what's all the rushing and racing about?
2: This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie.
4: Munster Technological University has confirmed that data from its systems has been available on the dark web. And of course, that's following last week's cyber attack. The Cork campuses, which were closed last week following that attack, are reopening today with classes to operate in line with existing uh, timetables. Mairead Tuik, our news reporter, uh, joins me with more on this story. Good morning to you, Maureen.
1: Good morning, Patricia.
4: Now, does MTU know at this stage the nature of the data that has appeared on the dark web?
1: Well, what they've said in that statement is that uh, they've been assessing the National Cyber Security Centre has been assessing uh, MTU in relation to the incident. And they're saying that certain data has been accessed and copied from MTU systems in the course of this ransomware incident and that it has been made available on the dark web. Now, they're reviewing. So they're forensic experts. They're investigating it and they're reviewing the nature of the data compromised. And they're saying at this early stage, it's not possible to fully ascertain the exact nature of all the data, including personal data affected or the identity of persons affected by this uh, release of data. But they've already commenced the process of notifying those who've potentially been affected of this development.
4: Is this similar to what happened to the HSC?
1: It sounds uh, uh, rather similar in terms of that uh, data has been has been released and that I know uh, people uh, who've been affected by that within that HSE attack have been receiving letters. But I've just uh, been in with Ronan Murphy, who's the founder of Smart Tech 247. And what he was saying to me is that, you know, it can contain sensitive information, you know, uh, belonging, I suppose, to individuals. But it depends on the data stolen and that's going to all depend on, and say that how severe the problem is going to be for MTU. And I asked him as well, you know, MTU have come out and said they're not paying a ransom. And I said, you know, what what's this going to mean? And he said, well, if you don't pay them, you know, they're going to follow through on the promise that they've made to whoever they've made the promise to of, of getting that information. So if they don't get the money through a ransom being paid, they're going to follow through and, and put that information on the dark web, which is what has happened here.
4: But MTU did go to the High Court on Friday when all this broke, didn't they?
1: They did. They, they secured high court orders on Friday, and that was to prevent anyone from disclosing information re- received as a result of this IT breach. So that happened. That's on Friday, but they did come out in that statement yesterday evening, um, and they were saying that following careful and ongoing monitoring of the evolving situation, that they have received that confirmation from their technical advisors and members of the National Cyber Security Centre that a uh, certain data has been accessed and copied from their systems and had uh, has been made available on the dark web
4: and are they issuing warnings to students and to staff to now be extra vigilant i mean in respect of potential attacks
1: that's it. They've been, uh, they've been contacting students all the time, sending student emails to their, their student email addresses. And the Students' Union out at MTU have been have been very good on social media, sharing tips and advice. And one of those bits of advice is, you know, not to connect to Wi-Fi. The, as you said there in the intro, that campuses are back open today. People are returning to college. But it's very much, and I, I know you enjoyed it the, the last year, Paul Gallagher saying chalk and talk very much. Yeah. They're, for, the, for now because of not connecting to the Wi-Fi. You can imagine when you go to college, it's all laptops, Wi-Fi, everything's on the internet. So people have been asked not to connect to the Wi-Fi because once you're connected to the internet, you know, everything is hackable. And that's the thing I was asking Ronan Murphy about. What's the advice here for businesses in general because you know, he said it's so prevalent at the moment taxes hundreds of times every day globally that they're happening um and he was saying you know there's about four pillars there that businesses can take to, to be careful he said everything is hackable if you're connected to the internet it's hackable so you should test your systems prepare for the worst case scenario you know train people you know, don't click on links, beware of emails and how to spot emails that might look dodgy and also to continually test your system. So that's the advice there for businesses because this the the prevalence of these cyber attacks, there is so many of them happening. He said hundreds of times every day globally.
4: God, it's a huge nightmare for MTU, isn't it?
1: It really is. And you know, it's it's tough keeping students away from their learnings and you know, they've to take steps now to to try and uh, get back into, back into flow, I guess, and to, to try and, I suppose, uh, you know, to, to make use without the internet for now and, and mm. see how that goes, you know, and there's a lot of courses out there, very practical based courses. And it's, you know, students have to be on campus in order to progress in their in their learnings and things. So it is it's very much it's uh, it's, it is a nightmare for them at the moment.
4: Okay, but the campuses and classes uh, back to normal, because I know last week they were talking about that, you know, it, 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 it might be a sort of a soft opening, but everyone is back in. They're saying the normal timetables
1: yeah going back with the, with the normal timetables existing timetables that uh, they're operating today from um, as you know they close Tuesday Wednesday then they close Thursday and Friday Um, but, but back open today with those uh, existing timetables but again with I suppose the, the likes of not being able to, to access Wi-Fi and I guess they're going to have to look at all their systems that they have on campus you know is it going to be cash only and how they're going to, to manage all of that
4: okay and people just need to be very very alert uh, when it comes to any sort of emails, text messages or any unsolicited uh, communication. Okay, listen Mairead, is always a pleasure. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you Patricia. Uh, good care. morning
4: to you. That is Mairead Tuig our news reporter on the latest from the Munster Technological University unfortunately having to confirm that uh, some of their data now has appeared on the dark web following last week's cyber attack. Now the GAA is coming on Pressure to reverse its decision to get rid of cash entry at match grounds, with Age Action saying the association should reconsider this move in order to help out some of their older supporters. North councillor Fina Falls Bernard Moynihan also thinks the GAA needs to look at this cashless ticket system, and I'm delighted to say he joins me in studio uh, this morning. Good morning, <coughs> Bernard.
5: Morning, Patricia. And how are you? I'm
4: very well, and, and you're very welcome. Now, and your listeners, are you hearing from people, especially? Over older people, that some of them are actually missing out on going to matches over this?
5: Well, I'm hearing, you know, across hollow and across the, 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 the generations, really, about the whole, you know, Car callers won yesterday. There's a feel-good factor about the footballers. They won in Kildare. We have a lot of championship matches coming up now within the county. People want the option of, at the very least, at the gates being able to tap. That The whole idea that you have to buy your ticket online I struggled with that myself and I'm reasonably computer literate. So therefore, a lot of older people have contacted me and said, one guy I know in particular goes to the market credit union and they do they print off the ticket for him. People go to their local post offices. People are a bit embarrassed about trying to organise a ticket for going to a match. It's a big event in a lot of people's lives. We're, we, our lives are now coming back to normal. Social life is coming back to normal. Card games, GAA, and GAA games are a huge part of our life. We grew up with them and we grow old with them. Therefore, its I think it's absolutely important that at county board level and at Croke Park level that this matter is revisited. Now, I understand that there's issues about managing cash after matches and so forth, but at the very least we should have one style that is cash for cash and another style maybe for tapping. You know, tapping, they don't even have tapping. You can't tap your card. So therefore, and I have people who are older people You know, people who might and they might have to ring up a friend or a daughter or a son or someone to come and print off the ticket for them. Now, there is the added factor, which we have in Duhala, which we have, you know, our broadband is improving. But like our broadband is not perfect in every GA grounds. I have had an older person ring me. They had a ticket on their phone when they got to the the gate. It was gone off their phone because there was no coverage at the gate. The broadband broadband was down at the gate. Yeah. Therefore, that person was embarrassed because the, the person at the gate couldn't let them in because the ticket wasn't on the phone. This, you know... We, we obviously change. We all have to work with change. We have to embrace change. We saw last last year when the banks tried to introduce the cashless society, how they had to reverse the decision, and they reversed the decision pretty rapidly. And we, you know, we have to commend them for changing their decision when they got it wrong. They put their hands up and they said they got it wrong. The banks did. Now we're look. I'm asking the GAA at county board level. I've written to the CEO of Cork County Board. He should have. He had my letter on Friday. I'm now going to write to Croke Park and say this is happening too fast. We have to slow down the pace. Yes, we can use the new system, but the new system can be used in conjunction with the existing systems. Yeah,
4: I think I think you've you've come up with a good solution. You're not saying for all of the matches to go back and be cash. You're saying just have one turnstile where somebody who wants to pay in cash, who only deals in cash. So it wouldn't be a huge amount of people would be using that particular turnstile. So they wouldn't have that problem with having a lot of money to try and
5: move around. Absolutely not. I mean, I, you know, we have to balance that, you know, to balance all angles here. Not at all, but just a person who, who decides to go to a match. If somebody decides in the morning, it's a dry morning. They might only decide in the morning to go to a match. if that you're an elderly late person. Decision, yeah. You know, the sun is out. The day is good. It's a Sunday afternoon. I want to go and support my local team and meet my friends. It's a whole social occasion as well. They might decide in the morning to go to the match to have that ability to go to the style of park you're in and pay in in the normal way. And I genuinely think that every effort should be made by the GEA, because there's a lot of competitors out there. I grew up in a G.A. house and a Kish game as a G.A. community and Duhalla supporting Duhalla back in the 1991, 92. You know, we need to go back and give pe- older people in particular. Now, I'm, I am I was reading over the weekend on this whole idea and Celine, her name escapes me right now, Saline Clark, head of Advoc- advocacy at Age Action Ireland, yeah. has raised this matter. Yeah. Now, she has raised this matter because she's getting a lot of contact from older people that they're being disenfranchised and they're not going to the matches. We also have it raised last week with the Taoiseach in the doll Dá- Éireann. So therefore, it's being raised, and, and I think it's important for people across Duhallow, across North Cork, this has to be revisited.
4: And well, I would, this time last year when this was introduced, um, I have a piece um, from the Cork County board delegates, they criticised the GAA over this cashless ticketing uh, system and made that very point that Crow Park had taken away the independence of people who supported the association through thick and thin thin for the past 70 years. And I remember when we had the discussions about it this time last year, that was the point. These were the people who built the GAA and they're the ones who now feel disenfranchised.
5: Aloha these people cut the grass in the GAA grounds. They work in the GAA grounds. They have built up the clubs, they've trained the teams, they've been Involved in GA all their lives, and suddenly now they they find themselves cut out from going to matches or the option on a Sunday morning or a Saturday afternoon saying, Look, at three o'clock, I decided to go to the match, but you can't go. And then, like, we have to be conscious in this country, you know, we're not this is not Dublin, we're not Dublin Four, or we're not we're we're not we're outside the the red cow, Our, our broadband is not. Up to standard, yes. I have phone calls that people have no mobile phone coverage. Mm. A lot of elderly people, a lot of older people use the ordinary flip phone. They're, they don't have the iPhones. So, like, we just have to be understanding of the people who... and. You include
4: know, everybody
5: include everybody yeah. and not exclude somebody because you know if they want to go to a game but I have to I have to give credit to a lot of people who help elderly people I know friends of mine who help elderly people who want to go to matches and not so elderly people people my age group who might not be able or not not used to downloading or Buying tickets online and stuff—that that they're all helped and this and, and and facilitated. But I'm asking, and I think and I and I want to say this in a kind of a, a genuine way. I'm asking county board to revisit this matter and Croke Park to revisit this matter. And this matter is easily resolved. It's not a. I don't think it's a. It's a. It's something that we should be. You know, it's it's a resolvable issue.
4: It was introduced by Croke Park, wasn't it? That the county board then had no choice; they just
5: had to go along with it. Is that your understanding? Well, I mean. Is the Croke Park, is is our county board independent? Well, I, I'm
4: sure this is a nationwide decision that was made. Because like, it's it, that's why um you're talking about Celine Clark from Age Action. That's why Age Action have come out, because this is happening nationwide.
5: Yeah, I have an article here from, I see from Michael Diagnan of Offaly GAA. Yeah. Have, they have the same issue. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, what I'm trying to say is this is nationwide. If it is Croke Park let's get to Croke Park, let's go to Dublin, let's explain to them that it's different down in Duhalla, we want back to the old system, or not exactly the old system, but a combination of systems. A combination of the online, the tapping, and the cash.
4: Yeah, well, I know last year the county board said that patrons without a debit or a credit card they'd be uh, assisted outside the grounds. Has that been happening? Have you been hearing about that? No, been I happening? haven't. You haven't? Okay. No, I haven't or, heard of anybody. Yeah,
5: I've heard. I, I haven't heard of anybody being assisted. But I'm asking now, and I think it's important that the county board. And Croke Park, that we I'm asking that to, 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 to sit, the whole idea be revisited and paused to allow. The, we saw what the banks did last last year. They backed down when they were introducing a cashless society because of the kickback from rural Ireland. I'm asking for the same now here in the context of the ticketing for the GA.
4: Okay, a lot of people are. Um reacting to this and, and very much supporting what you're saying. A number of people are saying that cash is legal tender is it legal for them to refuse to take? I, I've, I, I know that came up last year as well. Uh, I know people can make, can make their own, companies can make their own decisions around not accepting cash but people are making the point that it is uh, legal tender Then John was at the Cork Limerick game. He said for 15 minutes he wasn't able to get in because for some reason whether it was a problem with the broadband or what, his ticket wouldn't show up on his phone exactly what you were talking about happened to somebody you you know, he said he eventually did, but it was very frustrating, and there he was for fifteen minutes outside, trying to get into a match i mean that's crazy
5: this is appalling stuff, but I mean we we, we have to solve it and I'm saying you know added Irish banks back down because they' for the, in the interest of their customers they're interested in their customer now we have the g e like people have options in life, they can go to rugby soccer, they can do other things. We have to make our games accessible. We have people, I know people who are involved in training teams, involved in coaching, I was talking to, you know, the amount of work the footballers and the holders are putting in in strength, conditioning, coaching, eating, diet, to play for Cork. And we, we need to make it easier for our people who are GA people to attend and support them. And I want them to support them. And we have three or four players from Duhalla, Owen McSweeney, Sean Meehan, playing for Cork footballers at the moment. And there's a huge appetite to go and watch them play.
4: OK, and, I, and I'm seeing a lot of uh, comments coming in, just all making the same point. Michael said, I went along recently to a local game, went to the gate. Um, I opened my email to get my ticket. The circle kept spinning around on my phone. There was no 4G reception. A man told me to walk up the street to a shop and my phone might pick up the Wi-Fi from the shop or else walk further up the road and I might be able to pick up 4G. I ended up getting my ticket in the end with the 4G reception. I mean, that's just crazy, getting people walking around, isn't it? It. Absolutely.
5: Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I'm 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 hoping that sense will prevail. And I mean, we, we can go to Crow Park and talk to them. I mean, people in Dublin do not really understand rural Ireland. They just don't get it. They don't get the fact that we haven't got broadband and and you know you, you, the problem with some of the GA pitches. We have fantastic facilities financed all by by Car County Board. We have fantastic facilities across Duhalla. But like if you have no broadband or no coverage at the gate, when you get to the phone and or get to the gate and your your ticket is on your phone and you put up your ticket and it can't walk the the person at the gate, your thing is swinging around. Yeah. Yeah and it's embarrassing as well yeah, for yeah. the person
4: uh, someone else says well done to Barnett my dad has actually given up going to matches because he only deals in cash even though we've pleaded with him and said we'll get the tickets for him he said no he won't allow it uh, to um, happen um, hi um, I say bring back the cash purchase of tickets at the gates just if, if the GAA needs to charge a little bit extra an additional cost for handling of cash at the gate simple that would be the solution and someone says Finbar this is Finbar it's Sarsfields GAA said plenty of people from Cork yesterday with no tickets asking to pay into Pierce Stadium. Uh, and obviously they were trying to pay in with cash. Okay, all right. So you, you've written to the county board and have you raised this at council level? I will
5: raise it today at council level and I will, following today's. Um discussion Patricia and thank you for your time Thank to your listeners I will write to uh, Croke Park as well
4: Okay and get back to us and let us know uh, how you get on because I think uh, there's definitely an appetite for people to just have the option as you say not everyone is going to want to deal deal with cash but why disenfranchise people that do want to deal in cash I think that's your main message. Okay listen Bernard thank you for that and thanks for joining us uh, in studio that's Councillor Bernard Moynihan Tim says for people who are worried and the people who are complaining that when they got to the gates having purchased their ticket on line for a ga match in some of the rural uh, cl- some of the rural areas the the 4g might have been very good and people are having problems accessing their tickets uh, tim says screenshot the ticket at home to their gallery and then you won't have that problem trying to get the wi-fi just in case the wi-fi is down or playing up or the 4g is playing up when you arrive tommy in ballin I went to the court game two weeks ago at Porky Cueve. My phone decided to play up when I clicked on the email from my ticket. My phone just decided to go blank. Yes, I will admit I do need a new uh, phone. But I had to turn it on, turn it off again, reset my phone, wait for it all to come back on again. Fingers crossed and uh, praying to all the saints in heaven I imagine, Tommy. The emails eventually did come back and I did get my my, tick, my ticket. But my point, says Tommy, is that technology can and does fail. They need to have alternatives. And Mel in, in a Shannon listening with interest to Bernard Moynihan and Bernard was saying even if they had tapping as an option at the gates, that that would help some people. Mel says if they decide to introduce tapping with your card at the gate that mightn't work in all of the rural areas because again lack of 4G which has been highlighted by other listeners the tapping machine will need the internet to register the card being used so that might not be the simplest of uh, solutions and I can't get over the number of people who are agreeing and bring back the cash we are disenfranchising older people while somebody says uh, while while Bernard unfortunately Bernard is gone somebody says what Bernard needs to do is get decent phone coverage for us please in Kiss Game not to mind uh, broadband there are areas you can't even get decent phone coverage and actually Donny was on to say those goats goot- those, goots- those goats that I spoke about last week are loose yet again around the Ballybeg bends on the road between Mallow and Buttervent Donny said it's a joke at this stage can the owner of these goats not be found it's crazy that this has been allowed to happen again and again and I spoke to John Paul and he said that we, we didn't get anywhere last week with finding out who were the owners somebody was saying that they think the owner the owner that was there is gone and now the goats are basically wild if that's the case we're going to see can we get on to the Cork Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals or some animal welfare charity uh, because they're going to either get themselves killed or they're going to get somebody else killed if they are not removed. So we'll see if we can if we can find out anything and a possible uh, solution. But thank you for your text to donate to 0862 103 103. A break and News at 11. Cork
2: today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. See MIG. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
4: Some of your commentary coming in before I get to some of your calls and comments. Uh, Catherine and Cullum have been on from Mitchellstown. Just want to say a massive thank you to every single person that supported them in any way last Saturday when they held a Better Life Cycle coffee morning in the Hunter's Rest in Mitchellstown. and we mentioned it last week. It was a fundraiser for St. Joseph's Foundation. OMG says Catherine in her text. Uh, Patricia, we raised over €2,100. Euro. Isn't that fantastic from a coffee morning? We are simply blown away. St. Joseph's Foundation is such an amazing place and they provide sterling support for many families. We've never had the need to use their services directly, but we do have family members who do. So we ask everyone, if there's ever a time where you can offer a donation to St. Joseph's Foundation, please do. Thanks, Patricia, and to everyone at C103. Uh, As we know, uh, quite a few people who heard you advertise it on the radio turned up on the day. Well, we're glad that we could be of help in any way. And well done, Catherine. That is a huge sum of money to raise from a, a coffee morning. And I know the great gang at St Joseph's Foundation—they'll be thrilled with all of your support. So thank you for your text to A 103 103. Couple of people have been on about electricity bills. Electricity bills are starting to arrive for people, and any bill that's arriving now is probably the biggest bill of the year because it's the period of time that will cover. December and January always sort of the heaviest electricity bills Michelle was on to say that they recently installed an air to heat pump she says many new homes have also invested and in many new homes are built with these air to heat pumps very good for the environment and all of that and it's green energy and it's you know the way to go and it's certainly the way we're all told should be the future of the way we heat our homes Michelle said it's in Now that it's in full use, they got their first electricity bill, their first two month electricity bill since the heat pump went in and she got a little bit of a shock. She said normally their electricity bill would average between €150 on sort of the lower times of the year. 300 would be definitely the highest bill they would normally uh, pay. Anyway, Bill has come in with the uh, air to heat pump fully installed and her bill was 8 100 euro now the 200 euro c- will come off that for the government credit but still she's now facing a bill of 600 uh, euro so she said just to people what it is good for the environment the heat pumps you do need to bear that in mind but I th- but I, I and i don't know you'd have to work out i don't know what way you were heating your home uh, before um, Michelle because obviously now you, if it was oil central heating you won't have to pay oil or if it was gas you won't be paying oil, gas or does it level out I wonder uh, but certainly yeah your electricity bill has a huge huge jump to go up to 800 euro and as you say we think thankfully you've got the 200 euro off but it's still a very high bill and then somebody else who contacted us about a high bill doesn't want their name called out that's fine I got my latest electricity bill and I'm with board gosh for my electricity I live alone in a one-bedded apartment. I work daily, so I'm only home after 5 p.m., at, in the evening time, I only use a small table lamp that 's what I use to keep to give light in my living room. My bill for the last two months was three hundred and forty nine euro Now I did ringboard gosh uh, I ended up speaking to a girl, and they said, "Sorry, yeah, that is the correct that 's the amount of electricity you used. Your bill is correct. I found it astonishing to say the least. My usual bill is only a little over a hundred euro at most." Is there anything I can do about it? I did. I do have the two hundred euro government credit, but I still can't understand why the bill is so high. I'm an old age pensioner. I work part time, so yeah. I suppose the two hundred has come off. Will come off the three hundred and forty seven. So you have to pay a hundred and forty seven, which is still over what you normally uh, pay. I know most bills. I was working out my bill. It probably went up. Um, mine would mine normally is kind of around the 200 euro mark and I think it was came in at 450 I think now I had the 200 euro off so it's but it was it was certainly over double or a, m- a little more than double yours seems to have absolutely tripled if it's normally 100 to have gone to 347 uh, but yeah everyone is talking about the and no sign of those bills coming down that's why I know there's a lot of talk about there's another energy credit to come in March and there's already you no know, discussions going on will there be more energy credits some of the thought pattern is that the elect- we won't use as much electricity in the summer months but the bills are still going to be really really high and will they hold off and save some of the energy credits until later on in the year. We're keep, we're trying to keep, do our best to keep an eye on that. 0818103103. 103, many more people getting a fright when their electricity bills arrive, and how many people are thankful that that two hundred euro credit from the government is included? We'd have whoppers of bills if it wasn't for that. Now back to ticketing. GAA getting into matches. And do the GAA need to look back on a decision they made? I think it was about this time last year we were talking about it, to go cashless at uh, matches. Hi, uh, there's no name in this. Hi, Patricia. I tried getting tickets for the Cork to Limerick hurling match lately and there was an option for the amount of tickets. So I pressed two tickets. Then there was an option. Do you want them in the north stand or the south stand? So I selected South. Suddenly, I was getting charged for four tickets, but I only wanted two tickets. So I went back to the option again and I selected the south stand only and then proceeded to the next option of playing, paying. But the two tickets for the stand suddenly disappeared from the screen and I couldn't go any further. Then I was thinking maybe there's no tickets available for that stand. I'll try again later, tried again later and I got as far as paying, but I had to put in my password. It wouldn't accept my password. Then I had to send for a code from the bank. The code was sent to my email. There was a delay in that coming through. I didn't have a biro to take down the code. I was trying to remember it. I had to change my password. It was the most frustrating thing I have ever had, had to do. When to think I could have just walked up to a turnstile and paid in uh, cash. And by the way, there was no card machine to tap to get the tickets either, which was surprising as they did have that facility in Mallow at Mallow GAA for the, Carrick v, for the Cork v Limerick match. That was in the McGrath Cup final. So why not have it in uh, Cork City? Well done to Councillor Bernard Moynihan for raising this issue. Uh, A lot of people feel the same way. Hi, Patricia. My daughter got tickets online and when she and her friends got into the pitch and went to their seats, there was people sitting in their seats. They got their tickets from the club. I wonder, I I don't know, what was the end result of that? Did the people sitting in the seats get out of the seats and give them to your to your daughter and her friends or not. I don't know what happened there, but like surely if it's a computer system, it should, the seats shouldn't be getting doubly booked, but maybe there was a glitch, I don't know. And then John, who describes himself as the well-known GAA man in North Cork, he says, when you scan your ticket, when you buy your ticket online and you scan it and then you get into the ground, as soon as you get into the ground, John points out, they'll sell you a programme. And guess what? You pay for the programme with cash, They'd even give you change. So this, where's the logic in all of that? And that's, that's a point I know that was raised last year as well. And I know they want to, you know, with security and all that, they don't want a lot, lot of cash coming through the turnstiles. But they are still, it's not that they're not dealing with cash at all. They are dealing with cash when somebody wants to buy a programme. So that's a, a frustration for some people. 0818103103 Hi, this is from Pat in for Moy. I noticed... When walking last week, I'm picking up on you were talking about poverty and we did. We spoke about food poverty. We spoke with uh, I thought we'd quite a a stark interview with Bernardos, that lovely woman from Bernardos who uh, works at the cold face of it, works with families and trying to get them to make budgets and balance their budgets and you know she spoke about a family of two adults and two teenage children and when all their bills are paid at the end of every week they have 60 euro in which to live on for food and just how hard it is if you go into the supermarket and you know even though things might only have gone up by 20 cent or 30 cent but if a lot of things in the basket have gone up and you are with a very trying to feed four people on 60 euro a week is not a lot of money and we were talking about the whole thing around food poverty and that prompted Pat to say he noticed while walking around the streets of Fomoy where he lives the amount of people that are walking around with disposable cups of coffee. A takeaway cup of coffee costs €3.50 upwards and yet we have people saying they can't afford to pay their electricity bills yet people are are still able to buy takeaway coffees. But you see what you always have to remember there are people who are really struggling in this cost of living crisis and then there are other people who are not uh, struggling. And you know when you're saying nobody should be buying takeaway, Takeaway coffees. Obviously, the people that are buying takeaway coffees can afford to buy them, and let's not forget the cafes that they are supporting and the workers that work in those uh, cafes. Unfortunately, we we do very much have a. Di- I suppose we always had a bit of a divided society. We have the people that have, and we have the people that don't have. And uh, with this rising cost of living, unfortunately, there are more people like the working poor. People are heading out to work uh, every day and are still struggling. And certainly that family that Bernardo's uh, spoke about with this, you know, couple, you know, desperately putting a budget together to make sure that all of their bills were paid and that they would be able to feed themselves and their families. And that's why they were doing this very strict budget and being careful where they bought their food and what type of food they bought and looking at, you know, doing, say, no meat days to cut down on buying meat because meat would be too expensive. They are certainly not people that are walking around every day with a three or a 50 cup of coffee in their hands because they simply can't afford it. 0818 103 103. Couple of comments in on Dancing with the Stars. If you're watching Dancing with the Stars, it's on on a Saturday night right after the news. I always think it's on a great time. It's like Ireland's fitness. is Family was always on at that time. It's just kind of a time. Uh, certainly in our house, it's kind, of d- it's kind of dinner time on a Sunday evening and all this is nice and relaxing to watch. And I'm really enjoying Dancing with the Stars, I have to say. But Pauline was on to say, how wonderful was it last night to see two men dancing an amazing Paso Doble? on Dancing with the Stars last night. How far has this country come? Well done to Rory O'Neill, a.k.a. Panty Bliss and his partner, Dennis. It was I mean, they got the first tens of the season as well. And in fairness to Rory O'Neill, he did say how far has this uh, country come, you know, that he could never have seen a younger Rory in his 20s when he was diagnosed with HIV 27 years ago. He could never have seen that he'd be on a national TV dancing with another man and getting tens in the competition as well. Fiona also enjoyed it and said uh, Rory O'Neill had his best performance in this competition. He should be dancing as Rory and not dancing as Panty Bliss from now on. And I got this sort of sense and the feeling from listening to Rory O'Neill. I think he would prefer to be dancing as Rory O'Neill. But when he was approached by the organizers, they wanted Panty Bliss. They wanted his character, Panty Bliss, to be the one dancing. But certainly, yeah, he had he had his best week. And I also thought Stephanie Roach, the Irish soccer player, I thought she was excellent last night and the judges I know she's not the best dancer but certainly she did her best dance uh, last night but they always seemed to be so mean to her with the comments they always seemed to give her the lowest scores and I certainly thought her piece last night was absolutely stunning and she didn't I felt deserve to be lowest on the scoreboard last night but then what do I know about ballroom dancing Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. our lines are open C103 Jobs an experienced HGV driver is wanted its full-time position in the Mallow area. Call 086 832 5300. Qualified accountant is required. This is for maternity cover up to December of this year. Job does come with an immediate start and it's for a busy Mallow office. CVs please to obc.mallow at a part-time accounts administrator is required. That's for a busy office in Mitchellstown. Now, accounts experience is essential. CVs, please, to editor at avenduepress.ie. And Nazareth House Nursing Home in Drumahan are recruiting healthcare assistants. You need to FETEC Level 5 are the equivalent, please. CVs to at nazarethcare.com You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103.
2: Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. C-M-I-G dot I-E.
4: Last week I was gripped by a gritty crime novel that was such a page turner I ended up until 2am reading it because I wanted to find out how it finished and that's way past my bedtime. The book is called Twisted Truth and it's a follow up from a book called Blinding Lies, which was published last year. What I really love about these books are they're set in Cork City and County. The author author also happens to be uh, from Cork and living in Kinsale, Amy Cronin, and she joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Amy. Good morning. Now, you have nailed it again. Please say that book three is finished.
6: Book three is finished. Um, Yes, it is. So it is up to my publisher when it's released. Um, So I'm hoping it won't be too long more because a lot of people are asking for book three. But it is finished. It's with Poolbeg, just waiting to be edited and hopefully will be released before too long.
4: Because he was always when you set out to write, it was always part of a trilogy, wasn't it?
6: It was. Um, When I was writing Blinding Lies, as I approached the end of the book, I knew I couldn't cram everything into just one book. Um, It really was much longer than that. And so to give it its full justice for each character, it did become a trilogy. Yeah.
4: Okay. Now, what was the reaction like to your first book last year, uh, Blinding Lies?
6: It was really positive. Um, So it, it did very well. And Friends and family, you were asking me where these ideas came from, because they are very dark, I suppose. But um, the book did really well, thankfully. Um, I think crime thrillers do very well in general. Yeah. People look for something thrilling to read. It's real escapism.
4: Is it very nerve wracking, though, to put your writing out there?
6: Oh, yes, it really is, because you write for yourself initially And then you're you're writing for other people when you move on to book two. So writing the first book, I was full of hope that it might one day be published. Um, But when I was writing book two, I was aware of expectations and that is nerve wracking. Um, But at the end of the day, you just have to write the book that you would like to read yourself. And mm. hopefully the readers will enjoy it as well. Um, that's all you can hope for. Yeah,
4: then. yeah. Well, as I said at the outset, you've absolutely nailed it again with the uh, the second book. And you are yet another person that I get to interview who in some ways can thank the pandemic for prompting you <laughs> to change uh, direction and become an author, even though writing was always something you, cr- you really wanted to do.
6: Yes. And I always did it for myself. And um In the pandemic, we we had so much time and I think we all needed to find a way to cope with what was happening. And for me, that became finishing this book. Um, It wasn't called Blinding Lies at the time. It didn't have a title, but it had a character I loved and a story that that was really forming. The more I wrote, I suppose, that the story was forming as I got into the book. Um, But certainly there was a sense of, oh, you know, to hell with this, I'll, I'll send this out and see what happens um and there was nothing left to lose at that point you know the writing journey can be uh, it's a lonely one you write by yourself and when you're putting stuff out there there's a lot of rejection and it's just part of it um and you come to realize that and there was just this sense of the worst that can happen is the answer is no Um, So I just sent out the book and thankfully the answer was yes.
4: Well done. Well well done. And your characters, do you base them on people, you know, particularly not necessarily the baddies, but certainly the goodies. I mean, you Mm -hmm. speak. I mean, the main character is is Anna Clark. Um, Yeah. Like I I want Anna to be to be my friend because she's she's no (laughs) she's no shrinking violet. And I love the fact that she's got these martial arts skills. I mean, you know, she can take a man down.
6: She can and she would need to in order for, the, for <laughs> to get through the book. Um, but really, that was more of a, a homage to her father than ever thinking she'd ever need to use it. So her father, that was his passion. And, and he kind of trained his kids in that in the back garden before he disappeared. Um, so these are and then it became a lifeline for her. It became an anchor um, something for her to focus on and in a way that was what the book was for me during lockdown it was an anchor for me and it was something for me to focus on and anna is somebody that is quite lonely um and her friend kate in the last book was quite trapped in the city and when i think back now having some distance from writing the first book those are all things i was feeling at the time being on lockdown so Um, Anna isn't necessarily based on any one person, Mm -hmm. but I do like the idea that um, crime thrillers are predominantly featuring a male character who manages to survive the baddies and save the day. And in this case, it's a young girl, um, a young woman in her early 20s. And you know she she, she w- she's not particularly strong she's some th- somebody that people would underestimate so i like that idea and so, that do I, a lot. so do i
4: so do i th- yeah. I, th- I think that's what's great uh, about anna i think that's what's what's great about uh, the books and because obviously it's a crime uh, novel a lot of it mm-hmm. is, is centered around Angarda Sheikona and that's what well, anna yeah. is not a guard she does work in a guard station
6: how how did you research that side of it um i suppose i didn't try and get too bogged down with that um anything that i was doing i i did run things past a friend who who does work in that area but i didn't want to get too specific on the dynamics of it all and i'm sure if a detective is reading the book um she or he will think oh god this would
7: when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring
6: happen here. But um, as a reader of crime fiction myself, if the story flows and if it makes sense to me as the reader, then I'm satisfied with that. And that's what I was going for. Um, And as a clerical officer, which gives her access to files, Um, she doesn't necessarily um, detect, you know, the crimes. Now, William Ryan is the detective in the book and he's her friend um, and he helps her in Twisted Truth quite a lot. But um, you absorb things as you're reading and as you're watching TV shows. And there's a lot of information available online as Mm -hmm. well. Um, There are a few books on the market that will help writers, but they're very um, technical heavy and this isn't something I really wanted to get into in the book. I just wanted the story to flow um, in a way that felt believable to readers without being too technically um, yeah. And you don't. Detail. Yeah.
4: And you're right. You don't need that uh, technical uh, side of it. And from book one, and I mentioned this when I spoke to you last year, it made me smile when, when I read the first book. You've managed to build the event centre, you call it, uh, uh, the, the Rebel Events uh, Centre. Yeah. Uh, when, when you're sitting and you're, you're writing, you know, uh, various parts of the book, do you visualise the characters on the streets or on the roads as you're writing it?
6: I do. And with there's a scene in the Rebel Event Center in Twisted Truth, which you might remember the, the poor lady that's showing a yeah. couple around the event yeah. center. So I I was picturing that as if I was watching that. So um, that's a completely fictional place, but not for too long, more, I believe. But yeah, hopefully I was. Yeah, I was imagining that. Um, and when Anna is on the streets, I don't want to to name things too too detailed as such because I want the reader to be able to picture things themselves and the streets that they're thinking of might be the a different street to what I'm thinking of but the experience is the same um and walking around Kinsale uh, with Miles and things I have walked those streets so it was just pulling my own experience into the book and then imagining other places that weren't there yet for us but um hopefully the reader gets a good sense of cork from the book
4: yeah and i know even in just the very opening chapter which absolutely grips you um i lived yeah. in, i lived in Clonacilty for a period of time so in my head i was picturing exactly where the incident that happens in the opening chapter i was picturing yeah. exactly where it could possibly have happened
6: um, yeah. i have to ask <laughs> you
4: if if you if it was made into a movie who
6: mm. would you see playing anna clark oh gosh um do you know I I have been asked before, and the only person that comes into my head is Emma Watson, and I yeah. know that that's because she's so deceptively um, slight. Yes. Yeah. Because Anna Anna can Anna looks like that, but she doesn't act like that. Um, yeah, that's the only person. Yeah, she'd be good. She'd be good she yeah, she yeah.
4: she she would be good and you must get a huge buzz do you from seeing your books on the shelves when when you're you're passing a shop
6: oh i really do because the the first two books went out digitally first and then my publisher decided then they would put them into shops as paperback so twisted truth had a, a yellow front um digitally and has a blue front um in shops and i was only in town yesterday And I walked through Waterstones and Eason's and seeing it on the shelf, it it was just fantastic. And even to hold the book in your hand is really special. So it's definitely a great buzz as a writer to see your book on a bookshelf in a shop that you shop in regularly for books. It's fantastic.
4: That's great. It really is great. And just uh, I know you won't give anything away, but when in the next to final book, will we find out more about the parents or have you given us as much as we need to know about Anna's parents?
6: Um, the story will be resolved, okay. but there isn't a whole lot more um, in the next book. Um, in, fa- in actual fact, the opening chapter of the third book is in the Cork Words 3 anthology, which is being launched at the end of February in ah. Cork City Library. I will so have the to get my chap- hands on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's available, yeah. going to be available in the library. Um, so the, the third book is called In the Shadows and it opens w- in a cafe in Spain with a barista receiving a message over the phone, which he writes down and passes to one of his regular customers. And she reads the message and quickly leaves the cafe. And at the end of the day, he picks it up again. And the message just says, Tom has found you. You need to run. So the the lady in the cafe is Kate. Yeah, obviously. So so Tom Gallagher remains quite obsessed with finding her. so that's, that's the okay. opening of In the Shadows. All right. All
4: right, tell Pool Bell to hurry up and publish it. I'm already waiting But <laughs> I, As I say,
6: I, I loved um, Blinding
4: Lights uh, last year, uh, but Twisted Truth, just literally from that opening chapter, had me uh, gripped. Congratulations uh, to you. I hope it does really, really well for you, Amy. And thank you for taking time out to talk to us today.
6: Thank you. Thank you, Patricia. Good
4: morning to you. Bye bye. That is Amy Cronin uh, from Kinsale. And if you are into a really good crime, gritty crime drama, you're going to love it. And as I say, I love the fact that it is set in uh, Cork City and uh, County. It is called Twisted Truth and it is published by Poolbeg.
2: this is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Karen Crowley,
4: Information Officer with the South Munster Citizens Information Service, based in Mallow, uh, joining us for our Citizens Information slot. Good morning, to you, Karen. Good morning. And today we're dealing with the, the topic of family supports and what family supports are available because, you know, unfortunately, we know we have a rising cost of living, which is causing problems uh, for so many families. Only last week I spoke about food poverty on uh, the programme and we're hearing constantly, Karen, about people who are working. And who are still still struggling? So there's a social welfare support called the Working Family Payment. Can you outline for us what that is?
3: I can, and uh, it's absolutely fantastic payment. So it's for families with children under the age of 18, or 22 if they're in full-time education. And the rate applicable to a family is dependent on the number of children that you have. So, obviously, if you have four children, you're going to receive more than if you had two. So, what happens is the Department of Social Protection recognises that a living rate is needed and they will give you 60% of the difference between that and your actual wage. And the actual wage is your take-home pay. So, you're looking at net pay here. So, if you were to look at a standard family with two children bringing in 500 euros per week net pay, they would qualify for a top-up payment of around 115 euros per week. So that's significant when you take it over the course of a year.
4: OK, and, and you just and as you say, it, it varies depending on how much you're earning and how many how many children are in the family. Now, the National Child Care Scheme, that helps parents to meet with child care costs. Because, again, I've we've dealt with parents whose childcare costs are nearly as expensive as their uh, mortgage. Can you explain that and how parents apply for that?
3: Yeah, this child care scheme, I mean, it's such a boon to parents these days. It provides two types of child care subsidy for those and you must children must be over 6 months and up to age 15 so you have the universal subsidy now this isn't means tested it's available to everybody and it was extended to children up to the age of 15 in August 2022 we also have the income based subsidy now that is means tested now whichever one you're applying for you must do it yourself through the National Childcare Scheme website and but it's paid directly to your child care provider. The provider will then subtract your subsidy from your bill and of course the child care provider must be registered.
4: So you opt for the subsidy that suits you the best?
3: Yeah absolutely and an awful lot of people I've, I've dealt with um, tend to go for the universal because that's the easy one because you just click go because it, it applies to everybody but I I would always backtrack with people and say, no, let's give a look at your circumstances. All right. Now, so let's look at the difference
4: between the two then. What's it? Talk about the the key points of the universal subsidy first.
3: Universal subsidy is that it's available to all parents of any income level and it's not means tested. Again, kids must be between six months and 15 years. And the rates are based on the number of hours your child is attending childcare. The children must be attending the childcare provider who is registered with TUSLA. Now the rate that's provided is 140, so 1 euro and 40 cent per hour, up to 45 hours per week. So you're looking at a subsidy of up to 63 euros per week, which is considerable. And that's the non-means tested universal subsidy.
4: And then the means tested one?
3: The means tested one, again, children between six months and fifteen. It's available to families with an annual reckonable income of up to €60,000. Your hourly subsidy rates are based on your individual circumstances, so they're going to look at your family income and they're going to look at the age and educational stage of your child. Now, during school terms, you can use your subsidised hours for before and after school childcare costs. That's really going to help those that are working. Children must be attending, again, a child provider registered with TUSLA. Now, you don't have to be employed but the number of subsidised childcare hours available will depend on the hours you and your partner work, study or train.
4: So how many subsidised childcare hours can somebody be entitled to?
3: That depends, as I said, on the hours you're work, studying or training. So there's two two forms of hours subsidy. You've got the enhanced hours subsidy. So if you are working, studying or training, you will be entitled to up to 45 hours of subsidised childcare per week. In exceptional cases, you may receive this if you're not working. So, for example, you require support to help look after your children due to long-term chronic illness, and due to mental health difficulties, you may have a lot of hospital appointments going on. Your GP can help you with this, but the national child care provider are great at recognising a need. And I would always say ask them because they will provide that extra support if you can show that you need it. Now, you also have the standard hour subsidy. So, if you're not working, studying, or training, you will still qualify for up to 20 hours of subsidised childcare per week.
4: Okay, so that's all under the National Childcare Scheme. And as always, whenever we do these slots, we always mention to people if you're still unsure to please contact your local citizens' information, have pen and paper ready because we will give you numbers at the end. Move on, um, Karen, please, to Home Care Tax Credit.
3: So, the home care tax credit, if you're married or in a civil partnership and you care for a dependent person, you can apply for this credit. You must be jointly assessed for tax as a couple, and that's why you must be married, because you actually can't be jointly assessed unless you're married or in a civil partnership. When you get the tax credit, it reduces the amount of of tax you pay by the amount of the credit. And then if you look at the rules, so there's a couple of rules to fulfill. The full amount of the home care tax credit can be claimed when a married couple or civil partner are jointly assessed, when one spouse or civil partner cares for one or more dependent people. And the home carer's own income is under 7200 So it does actually allow for the home carer to work part-time and they can have the full... The full rate, uh, if their income is up to 7200 and then it operates on a sliding scale after that. So you can still earn up to a maximum of 10600 and receive something. Um, carers' allowance, carers' benefit are not taken into account when determining income. So it's very important for those with carers to to realise that.
4: All right, that's, that's an important point. What, what is deemed a dependent person?
3: So a dependent person would be a child for whom child benefit is payable a person aged 65 or over, or a person with a disability who requires care. Now, a dependent person you're caring for cannot be a spouse or civil partner. It can, however, be a relative by marriage or someone for whom you act as a legal guardian.
4: This is a question we often get asked whenever we're dealing with carers. Does the person being cared for, must they live in your home?
3: If you're caring for a person who's not a relative and not a relative of your spouse or partner, then they do have to live in your home. OK. If the dependent relative or a person is a relative, they can be cared for outside your home. However, if they're not living with you, they must live either next door in a neighbouring residence on the same property or within two kilometres of your home. So it must be easy access, essentially. And there must be a direct communication link between you. So we say both must have mobile phones. OK. And the rates of the, this tax credit for home carers? It's gone up now uh, for 2023. So it's significant. It's €1,700. Euros and um, so what would happen there if when you're jointly assessed is that you would allocate, you'd have shared credits and that would be allocated to the person that's working. So that would increase their income by that amount. OK, that's year.
4: that certainly is worth um, uh, worth applying for. And again, that's through revenue, isn't it?
3: It is. You can claim the home care credit using revenues my account so hop on to revenue.ie and go into your my account if you don't have a my account you can also apply by completing a home care tax credit claim form and returning the form to your revenue office
4: okay we're going to stay on tax credits but move to the rent tax uh, credit that was recently introduced and i know the last thing i read about it last week there hasn't been a huge take-up on this for whatever reason so i suppose talk through what this new uh, tax credit is
3: so again, it's going to reduce your tax by the amount of the credit. The rent tax credit was introduced in December, so it's very new and I think people are still a little bit hesitant about it. But you can claim the tax credit for rent payments you made in 2022 by making an income tax return for 2022. So all you would do there is go onto your My Account again and do a balancing statement or statement of liability for 2022 and you'll be able to put in the rent details on that. Now, the rent tax credit is going to be available for the years 2022 up to 2025. We're not too sure after
4: that. What will happen then? How much much is it worth?
3: The amount of the credit is going to be 20% of your rent payments in the year, up to a maximum credit of €500 for an individual or €1,000 for a couple who are jointly assessed for tax.
4: Yeah, and I don't know if you've seen the papers today. The rent has gone up all over the country on the latest survey out. Uh, So people people certainly will be able to claim the, the full amount. Who can claim the rent tax credit?
3: So you can claim the credit for rent payments you've made for your own home. For a second home you use to take part in an approved course or your work. And for all of those parents out there, you can also claim it for a property that is used by your child to take part in an approved course. So eventually college kids. So if they're, as long as they were under 23 at the start of their first year, this is going to be available to you as well.
4: Yeah, and that was a change they had to make because initially it didn't look like it looked like only the student could claim, but they changed that, uh, thank God. And obviously, as you say, anything to do with tax credits, uh, you go to revenue.ie and go on to uh, My Account. Uh, so if anybody needs any further information, Karen, on anything that we have been discussing, you're available at Citizen Information.
3: I am we're here look we're here all the time Monday through Friday. Um if it if you think your your issue is complex maybe ring or call ahead and we can allocate you an appointment. But as always we will go through your situation, guide you in the right direction as best we can and our service is free and confidential. Now callers can contact us here in Mallow on zero eight one eight zero seven eight thousand, or in Bantry on 08 8390 and we're always happy to take calls and offer information. And, and,
4: it's, and it's important that we emphasise it's all confidential in that any information that somebody's says to you or anybody else working on this information that doesn't go back to revenue that doesn't go back to the Department of Social no, Protection no, no. It's, it's literally you advising people uh, but Absolutely uh, not yeah and there, there are schemes out there and there are, uh, there are ways that people can particularly people who are struggling at the moment to please uh, reach out and see you never know if you're entitled to something uh, or there's not There's always
3: something yeah. There is always something and I would say talk to us we can talk through a situation we can help people work through things as best we can even if it's only trying to get in contact with your local social welfare office we will do our best to help people because we do recognise that those who never struggled before are under pressure now
4: Yeah that's the real. That's the real, real problem, Karen. A pleasure as always. Thank you for that. Have a good week. You're very welcome. And thanks for joining us, uh, Karen Crowley, their information officer with South Munster Citizen Information Service, and Karen works out of their Mallow office.
2: You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
4: Now, some of your thoughts and comments coming in. Thank you to Elizabeth in Kinsale. She was listening to me speaking with Amy Cronin about her new book in the last hour. Elizabeth said, I've read Amy's book. It was fantastic. Well done to her. Well, this is book number two that has just come out and I'm already counting down the days until book number three comes out so I can find out how all the characters end up. So really, if you're into crime, I'll have to say I'm not a huge lover of crime novels. But there's something about Amy's books and the fact that they're set in Cork just really, really appeals to me. And they're just real uh, page turners. So, and it's, it's good to see a local author as well uh, do well. So we're wishing Amy the best of luck with her new uh, book. The Goats at Ballybeg that I mentioned earlier and we had mentioned them last week on the programme. Somebody says, Patricia, about the goats at Ballybeg, this is on the bendy curves between... Mallow and Butterwind. The goats are not really the problem. It's the people who slow down to take photographs and try to count how many of them are there. They're the ones causing the problem. They're actually causing tailbacks on what already is a very bad road. OK, so if you're be careful when you're driving along that road keep a lookout for these stray goats and can stop slowing down trying to take photographs some questions in for Annalise thank you for that anyone else with a question for Annalise you can get it in either to John Paul who's taking calls at 0818 103 103, or you could text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. now we are looking for advice please from a one of our listeners can you help with this one, please. And I love to do these because it's great to get advice from others. Hi, Patricia. I'm not sure if this is the appropriate place for this or not, uh, but I'd love your listeners' views, please. I'm going to a cousin's wedding with my dad. Now, it's a full five-star affair. It's up the country, so it means travelling to and from to get to the wedding. It's also going to mean two nights accommodation in the hotel, which is a five-star hotel. I'm wondering... How much are we expected to give by way of a wedding present? There is all sorts of family politics going on, so it's important that I get it right. I don't want to be seen as mean, but worse still, I don't want to be over generous, and then I would be seen to be vulgar. <laughs> love the show. I would love advice from any of your listeners. Oh God, it's a nightmare, isn't it? And particularly when there's family politics going on. So I'm assuming by family politics, you can't ring somebody else because that's the that's what I would do. Certainly, if it was a family wedding with me, I try and ring somebody. Else from the family to say how much are you given there to cousin Johnny for the wedding, um, and I also accept that there is there's a cost involved with travelling up the country. The fact you and yourself, you, you and your dad, have to do you know two nights because a lot of the weddings now go on for the second day, don't they as well? So two nights in a five star hotel that's not coming cheap uh, either. I try to think. I haven't been at a wedding, and it's all cash now. Gone are the days where you get, you you bought the nice set of Green Hill sheets or you gave some. Waterford Crystal. Do you remember the Waterford Crystal used to be great for the for the wedding presents? That's all gone. It's all, it is it, it generally speaking you now it is all cash. Ah the last it's been a few years now since I've been at a wedding the last wedding I was out certainly as a couple I would always be given sort of the 200 mark and I know I had this discussion with John Paul before because he's often attended weddings and he's on his own and you know we've been having this discussion but if there's two a couple going and particularly if you're overnighting in the hotel i I certainly think 200 is generous enough without it being vulgar on the other side and if it's just one person on their own it's 100 so it's the fact it's you and your dad to me 200 would be enough but maybe you think 200 is overly generous I don't know so let's open it up to the listeners particularly anyone who's recently been to a wedding but take on board Mairead's comments there's a lot of family politics she doesn't want everybody talking and bitching about her afterwards saying God is that all she gave her God she's been very vulgar giving that amount isn't she so thoughts and comments please and we'll share them uh, on your behalf with Mairead 0818 103 103. Uh, you can text our WhatsApp in if you've got any suggestions for Mairead who just wants to get everything right attend the family wedding have a lovely couple of nights away with her dad and come home with nobody talking about her afterwards on the cash sale of tickets at the GAA still getting in texts on this Mary uh, says Hi Patricia we were at the Cork Limerick Hurling Match in Porky Cueve last Saturday night now this is inside so obviously bought the tickets online and then went in there was one cash till and then there was two others where you could tap your card we got a curry chip and a burger i would describe the burger as being on the plain side it cost 22 euro for a curry chip and a burger 22 euro is that by two or is that one curry chip and one burger 22 euro are you talking two curry chip? and two burgers for €22. Absolutely a joke, says Mary. Very expensive, the food inside. Plain burger and a curry uh, chip. And the listener says, I'm a lifelong supporter of the GAA and I'm disappointed. I can't go to any of the matches uh, anymore. I love going. It was a social occasion for me. Will you pass on uh, my thanks to Councillor Bernard Moynihan for highlighting this awful situation. I'm a football enthusiast of 80. You see, that's exactly who I was talking about when I was saying to Bernard, we're disenfranchising older people. And Bernard said it's not even somebody in their 80s. He's hearing it from people in their 50s who are having difficulties, who might not have the smartphone, might not be tech uh, savvy. But, you know, a man and I'm assuming a man, it could be a woman, but we'll assume, assume a man uh, of 80 the backbone of the GAA would have supported the GAA all throughout his life and now finds himself in a situation because he can't go online to buy a ticket not able to go to something that he loved to do and did it as a social occasion that just absolutely uh, breaks my heart 0818 103, 103 hopefully something will be done because there is a move now I mean Bernard is not the only one who is saying the GAA need to look at this I mean Celine Clark from Age Action came out also and said because obviously at Age Action they're hearing from a cohort of people from all over the country who are having problems going to matches since they introduced the the cashless entry Oh, 0818103103 oh, oh, on the air to heat source for and somebody said that they got it in and then suddenly Michelle wasn't it suddenly got their first electricity bill the first two months electricity bill couldn't believe how much their electricity was. Jar says Patricia, I also installed an air source heat pump recently. Now I'm monitoring the units and I'm monitoring them per day. It works out about 20 units per day, but that's for all of my electricity. I know that is still high. But when you work it out over the full year, it's cheaper than when you factor in the cost of oil or if you cost factor in the cost of solid fuel. I did ring Electric Ireland, says Ger, and they actually gave me 10 percent off my bills. So it's worth getting onto your energy customers, energy uh, customers energy customer uh, and request to see if there's any discounts going and of course also you change every year that's the key that we constantly hear from the likes of uh, bonkers.ie and switcher.ie is every year when your contract is up go to a new provider or go back to your old provider and see they might give you a better deal because there's no loyalty, unfortunately, for staying with the same company. And your as an add-on to East Texas, the other plus is I have a warm house 24 hours a day and you've got constant hot water with that as well, don't you? 0818 103 103. Barbara on Fairhill, uh, a new listener, I'm told, she's recently discovered, discovered us. Good to have you along at C103, Barbara. Barbara says, I got a call from prepay power and the guy said you can avail of broadband from prepay power so i asked how does it all work and he was explaining it and then he says i need to have your bank details and our a debit card so i told him my daughter has a debit card and if you ring back tomorrow uh, i'll have all the details for you so the following day the phone rings same guy is on saying he's from prepay power so once he started to talk again I always keep a a whistle next to my phone and I blew the whistle down the phone and he started cursing at me and he got off the line. I then rang Prepay Power, who told me while they do have my number on file, it's down for no calls as far as they are aware. Nobody rang. So something Barbara, if for some reason got suspicious that this was a scam call and it obviously was. So she said, please make people aware of that. I also, she said, got one of those letters from the HSE saying my data was compromised. So because of that, I'm being extra careful at the moment. Yeah, anyone who got one of those letters and obviously now anybody involved with the MTU needs to be extremely careful of unsolicited, unsolicited calls unsolicited emails or unsolicited text messages just be very careful Martin also received a letter from the HSE saying his data was leaked however Martin says I wasn't in hospital for over 20 years but I have noticed just a good few weeks or months before I got the letter I am starting to receive a lot of scam calls I don't engage with them but I never got so many of them. Now, I don't know whether it's a coincidence or if it's anything to do with the data breach. And actually, Martin, I know from other people who've received that letter from the HSE, it wasn't necessarily people who were recently in hospital. The very fact that you had interacted with the HSE at all, that you'd been in a hospital at all, all of your data you know when that cyber breach happened they got all of the data that was contained on the HSC, and even if it's over 20 years ago your data uh, was still there could it be a coincidence? I don't know but again you just need to be really really careful 0818 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary
2: With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county see corkcoco.ie.
4: Donnerail Active Retirement they've got their AGM this afternoon at three, that's in the presentation pastoral centre. All are welcome. Drina Community Alert, they're holding their AGM and information night. That's tonight at eight, and it'll be in Drina Community Hall. Trevor Sexton and Jerry O'Donnell are playing in Gagan Community Hall on Friday, the 24th of February. Tickets are priced at 20 euro, and by buying them, you're supporting Gagan Community Hall. And the Pike Theatre Group in Ballancolic are holding their monthly script It's tomorrow night, Tuesday, February the 14th at Balancolic Rugby Club from Half Past Eight. If you can play an instrument, sing a song or tell a story, you're very welcome to come along and enjoy the usual cup and sandwiches plus a raffle on the night or maybe even a dancer or two.
2: Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie MIG.ie.
4: As I'm mentioning scams, somebody's been on to say, Patricia, alert people to the fact that the unpost scam is doing the rounds again it looks for a payment of about 1 euro ninety to release a package which sounds like a harmless amount but of course it's a scam please don't click on the link yeah, and that's how they suck people in people you know and so many people now are buying things online they are waiting on packages and they think that this money is owed and of course it's not owed they pay the one ninety, and the next when they check their bank account they could be cleaned out so be careful of that on wedding presents and our listener in the bit of a, a dilemma at the moment going to a wedding along with her dad travelling up the country it's a five star affair so it is going to cost as it is but there's a lot of family politics going on so she wants to get the amount the, the cash gift right doesn't want to be seen to be mean but doesn't want to be over generous either in case it's seen as being a vulgar Hi Patricia 20 euro oh sorry 20 euro 200 euro is plenty to give from a couple also the bride and groom would not Never disclose how much a person gives them. In my opinion, that would be in very, very bad manners. Well, I would agree one hundred percent that nobody should say, "Oh, guess what, Auntie Betty gave me," as opposed to what Uncle Arthur uh, gave me. But I think marades. Uh, the, the line in Mairead's text about there's a lot of family politics going on so maybe it is a kind of a done thing that people discuss how much the different cousins of the different aunts and uncles uh, give John is in Cove and he doesn't believe in giving anything if he goes to a wedding he gives a card with nothing in it when he used to give a present it would always be a small present <laughs> if you're invited to a wedding it's your presence that they want, not your present. OK, good luck for that, uh, John. Shirley in Ballon colleague says, uh, for me, if I was going on my own, €100 Euro is fine, €200 Euro if you're going as a couple. But I do know of late that prices seem to be going up so, people seem to be sticking in an extra 50 euro. If it's 100 euro, they're giving 150. Or if it's a couple, they're giving 300. Actually, somebody else made that point as well. Where is it? It's um, um, Anne says regarding the wedding gift up the country, I think a wedding meal now is about 130 euro per head. Is that what it is? Wow. So I think that and um, going along with her dad should be giving 300 euro. You want to at least cover the cost of the meal and a little bit extra, even though I'm, I know that seems like a loss, but you have to factor in that everything now is going up in price, including for the bride and uh, groom. So you do need to give a little bit extra. That is from Anne. Thank you for that, Anne. And a different Anne says, Patricia, got my gas bill 600. 150 euro. And I have to be honest, I barely use the, ga- the gas. I checked my bill from last year. It's triple the bill I got this time last year. I'm with Electric Island. I really am quite shocked. I would double check Anne, and I know we've heard this from a number of people. Double check and see if it's an estimated bill, because now this is anecdotally, but certainly from some of the listeners contacting us people who are getting estimated bills they seem to be much higher than what the bill would actually be if you had sent in the reading yourself or if the meter reader had come out and read your meter i know an example we had out of douglas a couple of weeks ago on it was somebody realized they were going to get estimated bills that nobody was coming to read the meter so they sent in their meter reading and they got a you know a bill of about 100 euro I think and they were talking to their neighbour who got an estimated bill and it was three times the amount so just double check that it's not an estimated bill because if it is your bill mightn't be as high as what it is but yeah it's a bit of a shock if you were expecting a bill if you say triple so the bill was probably about 220 this time last year to go to 650 is huge. It really is uh, huge. And here's one from somebody trying to travel. This is an interesting one from Anne-Marie. And again, let's wait and see. Have others found themselves in the same boat as Anne-Marie? Anne-Marie is somebody who doesn't drive. And she says, hi, I'm enjoying your show. Thank you for that. Um, I wanted to make a point about the environment and trying to be environmentally friendly as I can as a person with a very low carbon footprint who doesn't drive. Some time ago, however, I needed to get to 11 a.m. funeral on a Sunday morning in Leash. I didn't realise this. There are no buses from Cork whatsoever that stop in Port Leash. Now the Bus Aaron bus does drive through Port Leash, but it sails past the town. And believe it or not, on Sunday mornings, the first train that stop stops in Port Leash leaves Cork at around 1025 a.m. And then has a long wait for a connection in Thurles, arriving in Port Leash on a Sunday afternoon at about 1.46. Bearing in mind now. The funeral that Anne-Marie needed to get to was at 11 a.m. So that train of no use. An earlier train leaves for Dublin direct. That leaves at 8.25 a.m. But then getting another train from Dublin back down to Portlaoise would only have got me there for noon. The funeral was at 11 a.m. I looked at a bus via Limerick. But the 7.25 a.m. bus to Limerick would only arrive in Limerick for 9.10 Missing the 8.25 train to Port Leash and the next one at 10.25 would have arrived in Port Leash at 11.46am. The funeral was starting at 11am. Too late again for the funeral mass. If I lived in Limerick City, I could have got to the funeral, but the connectivity from Cork is very poor. If the Dublin direct train stopped in Thurles or Port Leash, that certainly would have helped. R Even if the Cork to Limerick bus left earlier, it would meet the Limerick to Portleach train. Cork at the end of the day is Ireland's second city. But if it's cut off from the rest of the country on a Sunday morning, except for those going to Dublin, the Green Party is looking at new trains. They're looking at new bus routes from little towns in the west of Ireland with very small populations. But Cork's connectivity needs to be improved. Seriously, we need to be able to get from Cork to other places on a Sunday morning. I ended up missing that family funeral and had to put up with attending it online. Do I need to rethink opting not to drive? So much for being environmentally friendly in Ireland. Best regards, uh, Anne-Marie. And I'm assuming there's probably a lot of other people nodding along to Anne-Marie's story and probably had a similar story to tell in trying to get from A to B particularly if you don't drive I do know the closest one that I can say from that happened in our household it was before uh, Christmas my sister my wonderful sister came and looked after Marcia it was the radio awards in Kilkenny and we needed to go to the radio awards so Paula drove up from Dungarvan to mind Marcia for the night so we could go to our glitzy glamour glamorous night unfortunately Paula became unwell that night and she, the, so the following morning, we were heading back and she said she just didn't feel well enough. It turned out she had COVID. We didn't know at this stage that it was COVID. But she just said, I don't feel well enough to to drive you and know, the room was spinning and whatever. So her wonderful husband, Johnny, had to get on a bus from Dungarvan to Cork City uh, because there's no, there's, there's no direct route to Mallow. And then he had a choice of either getting a bus to Mallow or a train to Mallow. No, he, he he ended up doing the bus to bus to bus, but it took half the day for him to for him to get and you, you start thinking there should be better connectivity. <laughs> there really should be. But poor old Anne Marie completely missing out on a family funeral because she couldn't get to Port Leash on time. O eight one eight one oh three one oh three. Anyone else who has a Question, please, for annelise I can see people starting to text in questions. You can text them in to 0862 103, 103. On the goats in Ballybeg, Mary says, yeah, Patricia, you're right. Whoever sent that in about people taking pictures. Will you ever tell the people to stop taking the photographs of the goats? Are nearly ran in to the back of a car because somebody was stopping to take photographs. So rather than the goats causing the problems, it does seem to be a lot of... Now, why are people taking photographs of these goats? I wonder what that's all about. If anybody can fill us in on what that's about, I certainly would be interested uh, to hear that. 0818. Uh, to 103 103. Annalise Drissell answering your nutritional questions. That's up next.
2: Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. C M I G CMIG.ie.
3: This is the Court Today replay on C103.
4: We're off to the health hub in Times Square, in Balancolic, where Annalise Drissell uh, joins us. Good afternoon to Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And as always, you're very welcome. Let's get straight into the questions. This one came in bright and early this morning. Question for Annalise, uh, please. Is there anything I can do to ensure the uptake of vitamin B12? I ended up having to get injections as my B12 was so low and I was extremely tired. What's the best oral supplement to take? I'm wrecked from it. Thank you
7: big it is a big thing actually patricia um not uh, people who are unable to absorb b12 so we need to have something in our stomach called intrinsic factor that binds on to vitamin b12 and that's how it gets absorbed in the body and in order to have intrinsic factor you need to have very very good strong stomach acid so people who are on the acid blockers you know the proton pump inhibitors for reflux they would certainly Um, find it very hard to absorb vitamin B12. And actually, also, I do think genetically a lot of people are very poor at absorbing B12. So sometimes actually taking a supplement is no good because it's still not absorbed properly. So the best ones are the ones that are absorbed what they call sublingually, which means across the mouth. And the one that we get the best results here from uh, is a Solgar one, and it's vitamin B12 nuggets. If you ask for those, they're tiny little kind of pinky-flavoured, cherry-flavoured nuggets that you just chew in the mouth and you leave them, dissolve or chew in the mouth, and the absorption takes place there so it bypasses any difficulties that you have. Other people who'd be at risk of deficiency of B12 as well would be people who would be vegan because we mostly get it from animal sources. So if you are vegan or vegetarian and you, you want to increase B12 in your diet, you can add the nutritional yeast. And that works very well for some people.
4: Okay, good luck with that. Could Annalise suggest what is the best coke you tend to take on a cholesterol tablet?
7: So, the cholesterol tablet, Patricia, blocks the pathway in the liver that makes cholesterol from saturated fats. But that pathway is also responsible for making a vitamin called coenzyme Q10. And coenzyme Q10 is essential for our energy pathways. So if you become deficient because you're on the statin and that pathway is blocked, you might get things like um, muscle pain, particularly across the back of the shoulders or in the legs, weakness of the legs, fatigue after exertion, so maybe feeling abnormally tired after climbing a stairs, some people might notice their short-term memory is affected. And in those cases, it's very good to take a vitamin, a vitamin coenzyme Q10 supplement. So there's different types. There's the active one, which is the ubiquinol. And that is probably one of the better ones to take, um, but it's far more expensive. So I think if you've got some of the side effects from taking a statin take the ubiquinol which is more expensive but is the active form and you probably need at least 100 milligrams but if you don't have any side effects and you just want to be on the safe side you could take the ubiquinone which is the inactive form we can activate it within our bodies Um, And you can take maybe 30 milligrams, which would be cheaper. So the brands that we have here in the shop, I know that One Nutrition um, do a nice one. They are an Irish company. They do it either as capsules. You can also get an oral spray from them. We have got the Pharma Nord ones. We get good feedback on those as well. Um, the Nature's Plus Beyond Q10 is probably one of the best ones. And, of course, Viridian do a range, and
3: they're always good quality too.
4: Okay, a couple of people seem to be suffering from tinnitus. Somebody says, Ian and Elise, can you recommend anything for tinnitus? And somebody else says, is there ear drops you can get for tinnitus?
7: So, um, you know what, Patricia, if I could invent something for tinnitus, I swear I'd be a rich woman because it's so common. So there's different types of tinnitus, I think, not being an expert, but this is from my experience of people There is tinnitus that happens when there is hearing damage, maybe as a result of listening to loud sounds or maybe long-term damage from an ear infection or something like that. That tinnitus is very, very hard. There's really nothing that will work for that in terms of taking. The other type of tinnitus, I think, comes sometimes after a viral infection or an ear infection where the canals of the inner ear become inflamed. So the inflammation can be dealt with by taking natural anti-inflammatories. And we've had some sex success here by uh, giving people a natural anti-inflammatory supplement again by a company called One Nutrition Um, it's uh, called P4 Immune and it is a very powerful natural anti-inflammatory supplement and we pair that as well with a um, um, an inner ear kind of probiotic which is uh, lactobacillus salivarius and that can sometimes for some people give them a benefit so I'd suggest that people try it for a couple of months and see if they get um, any lessening of the noise. But if not, it's probably not going to work. And rosemarinic acids sometimes can work as well as you get from rosemary. So you could, if you have rosemary in the garden, you could drink it as a tea or you could buy a good quality rosemary essential oil supplement and you could take that as a tea as well.
4: OK, I don't know if you can offer advice here or not, but Mary's daughter, a 19-year-old, has recently developed epilepsy. They've discovered that its bright lights are the trigger. Uh, she's wondering, wondering, is there anything you can suggest from a nutritional point of view to help with epilepsy?
7: Yeah, absolutely, actually, uh, Patricia. And this really probably needs to be done in conjunction with a a medical professional. But there is quite a lot of research um, on cannabis oil and its ability to reduce the amount and severity of epileptic attacks. So um, you can buy cannabis oil that has no THC in there. Um, And that works very, very well for some people. And I have lots of customers that are epilepsy free. Also, following a ketogenic diet can be very helpful for some people as well. So a ketogenic diet means cutting out all carbohydrates and very extremely, Patricia, um, so that your body goes into what's called a process of ketosis, where it's burning fat as a fuel. um, And that can drastically reduce the amount of epileptic um, fits as well. So between the two of those, you could probably have a very, very good success rate. And for some people, then, they still do get epileptic fits, even on the cannabis soil, and they may need the medicinal cannabis. And in this case, your doctor can definitely prescribe that. It's legal in Ireland for that use.
4: OK. Hi, um, Annalise. I This is from Pat. I've chillblains on my fingers. Uh, anything to prevent them in the future and to uh, for, uh, and for the current uh, chill I have what would you recommend yeah, Something
7: so the, you, do, you, do you hear do you, do you hear about a lot of people getting chill yeah, definitely and actually well, it's a lot of people who work outdoors as well Patricia that are yeah. going from like a, a lot of people farming and milking it would be very common because the milking sheds would be very cold um, and they might be going from hot to cold to hot to cold. So it's quite a common one. Normally, I recommend that people take something like horseradish and garlic complex at the beginning of the kind of the cold season. And that's very good in to improve circulation. And then we often recommend the Dr. Delish Clare anti-itch cream, or even the healing cream that she does is very good as well, just to put on it to get rid of the itch when they are so desperately itchy. But it's about supporting your circulation. So if you're... if is poor you'll definitely be more prone to uh, getting those chilled lanes and for some people then as well if they're working outdoors we would recommend that they would actually use um, the cream on their hands as a preventative just to kind of create a barrier um, and to um, uh, if, you know maybe wear gloves on top of that then.
4: Okay hi Annalise. can you take red yeast and Q10 indefinitely are there any side effects to taking them long
7: term? Yes, there definitely is, Patricia. So the red rice yeast most people take for cholesterol, to bring their cholesterol down, it actually does exactly the same thing as the drug does. In fact, I think the drug originally was discovered by looking at the monocolon K from red rice yeast, and then it was, it's now been made synthetically. So the same things would apply to still take, uh, to taking the drug, which is you need to have your liver checked fairly regularly. This goes for people on a statin as well, Patricia, to make sure that it's not affecting your liver function. Now, it's rare that it does affect your liver function, but for some people it may. So when you go for your annual blood test, as well as getting them to, collect collect, to check your cholesterol to make sure it's still being controlled by red rice yeast, get them to do your liver enzyme check at the same time.
4: Hi, Anneliese. I've been diagnosed with fatty liver. Uh, what, can, what, what, what can I take to reduce it at some Bernie.
7: So fatty liver, Patricia, we're seeing more and more of it now, and I think it's a large part to do with our diet. So really, since the 60s, our diets have been very high, become very high in processed carbohydrates. Um, so it's called um, non-alcoholic fatty liver, Patricia, and it means that your liver begins to store large amounts of fat, um, generally as a result of high triglycerides, which um, are made from excess carbohydrates in the diet. So there'd be a link between um, non-alcoholic fatty liver and type 2 diabetes as well, and certainly with weight. So if you lose weight, you'll probably lose weight from losing fat in the liver. But in terms of diet to follow, a low-carbohydrate diet is the best one to follow. Again, you could go down the very extreme route of the ketogenic diet that I spoke about earlier for um, epilepsy, but there's less extreme versions that will be very low in carbohydrate, and that will help prevent it from getting any worse for sure. And then in terms of supplements, I always recommend um, berberine, which is a fantastic supplement. It comes from the berberus plant that a lot of us have in our garden. Um, And it actually in some trials has shown to be as effective as using the metformin drug, uh, which most people take for type 2 diabetes. And this basically just helps to manage the whole insulin carbohydrate fat storage issue that goes wrong with non-alcoholic fatty liver um, and then there's also a supplement called alpha lipoic acid and this is very protective of cells when insulin and sugars are elevated in the blood so i would recommend that as well and then the final thing is maybe something like milk thistle or um, n acetylcysteine and viridian do a lovely n acetylcysteine plus supplement patricia that has got cinnamon and chromium in there and that helps with again with the insulin carbohydrate balance which prevents fat from being laid down in the liver
4: okay one final one um hi annelise how anything for a cure and an ulcer in the small bowel it was caused by gastro gastro gastroenteritis what diet is the best i've, I've lost three stone in weight i can barely eat it is so painful all the time
7: Very, very painful, Patricia. Um, So, like, I mean, an ulcer anywhere is very painful, uh, but it's very slow healing there as well. So um, after a gastro, there's a huge amount of inflammation, Patricia, and what you really need is you need a gut healing supplement. So there's a couple of them. If you can um, go to your local health store um, or if you have a nutritionist that would be able to get this for you, there's a very good practitioner supplement by a company called Nutri-Advanced um, and it's a gut healing one called Nutrimonium, N-U-T-R-I-M-O-N-I-U-M. And that is fantastic. It's full of things for um, inflammation in the gut, but also for gut healing. If you can't get your hands on that one, because um, it's a practitioner on, I think we have it here. Um, there's one called GI Nutra Wellness by a company called Nature's Plus, And that should be available in most health stores. Um, so, so that will be another gut healing one. And then finally, if you can't get any of those, something that has a combination of things in there like marshmallow, slippery elm, aloe vera and um, L-glutamine are all very good for an inflamed. Yeah,
4: it's to try and and heal it. Okay, listen, as always, thank you for that, uh, Annalise. And um, we'll talk again next week. (laughs) Thanks Patricia. Bye bye. And will put up as heard on the radio on her website healthhubstore.com and John Paul will put it up as a, a podcast. Just a couple of quick texts in on travel. Hi Patricia, I needed to go to Galway uh, lately. It's only a two and a half hour drive from Charleville. I got on the train in Charleville. It took well over four hours to get to Galway. Up to Dublin first, waited an hour, then on the train to Galway, stopping the whole way down. I was just wrecked by the time I got there using local transport can be a joke you're better off driving nowadays and advice on what to give as a wedding present you've got to give at least 150 euro per person now because that literally would just cover the meal you should actually give a little bit more I presume it's a relative or good friend if you've if they've been asked it's a cousin it's a cousin she's going where he's going with her her dad Trish on the wedding gift I would give at least 200 euro and then maybe give a small token like a painting or something and give it as a keepsake that's from Sheila somebody else says why should the couple who are inviting you to a wedding expect you to cover the cost of the meal. Give whatever you can afford. And someone else says, Patricia, I think the presence of the guest should be enough in this day and age everything is so expensive uh, going to a wedding with overnight accommodation etc OK that's where I've got to leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon you're still looking out for Wham's Trup- Club Tropicana he'll play it again this afternoon and your chance to get a step closer to going to Salute. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court Today
2: on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. Cmig.ie. Cost more meals
1: at breakfast.
6: Wake up with Ken Tobin.
2: Weekday mornings on C103. Sometimes you just love the questions. The TV series Home and Away. Was it based in... Is it A, Summer Bay... Or B, the North Pole. Michael (laughs) Rick. Yes! (laughs) Yes! (laughs) Cork's More Music Breakfast with Ken Tobin. Weekdays from 6 a.m. C103.